Homeless Link is the national membership charity for frontline homelessness services. We work to improve services through research, guidance and learning, and campaign for policy change that will ensure everyone has a place to call home and the support they need to keep it. In this series of the Going Beyond podcast, we will discuss the effects of working in the homelessness sector on individual well-being, looking at managing stress, burnout, the effects of vicarious trauma, and the importance of debriefing and reflective practice. In each episode, we will speak to a guest who will tell us about their expertise, provide practical tips for improving well-being, and discuss the realities of working in the sector. I'm Jo Turner, National Practice Development Project Manager at Homeless Link, and I'll be your host. We hope you enjoy it. In this episode, we'll be speaking with Andy Fee, mindfulness practitioner and teacher at Oxford University's Mindfulness Centre. Andy also works at EASL, Enabling Assessment Service London, providing holistic assessments for homeless individuals affected by mental health. We'll discuss what mindfulness is, practice some exercises together and talk about how we can use mindfulness to unpack stress. Hi Andy, how are you? I'm very well, thanks Jo. Good. Well, thank you so much for being here today in person as well, uh, which is lovely for the uh, Going Beyond podcast. So to get us started for the listeners, it would be great if you could tell us a bit about yourself, what you do and perhaps your area of expertise. Sure. Yeah. So um, I am community mental health nurse by background, so registered mental health nurse having a background uh, initially in, in NHS, including an NHS homelessness team. And um, I'm also a mindfulness teacher. I teach uh, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy for life and mindfulness-based stress reduction. So I mainly work for um, Oxford Mindfulness Foundation. And um, I, as a mindfulness teacher, uh, working with a... Uh, uh, people who sign up for mindfulness courses from all around the world, really, because most of our courses are now taught online. And I also train um, people to be mindfulness teachers, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy teachers. And I also work for ESO. ESO stands for Enabling Assessment Service London. Uh, ESO led a mental health team, a non-statutory mental health team that was founded by uh, Barney Wells, a social worker, to better support and meet the needs of people who are homeless and in temporary accommodation and to support uh, staff and staff teams as best we can. Um, in um, the main thrust of our work is in assessments of people who are currently homeless and um, the intention of the assessments is in sort of in the name of enabling assessment service that was to try and support, if possible, some sort of a connection, some sort of housing that might be most suitable for a person with regard to um, their emotional or mental health problems. And also to support staff teams in the work that they're doing, the frontline work that they're doing with people who are homeless. ESOL have expanded significantly over the years. There was just Barney and then there's now, there was then like, four of us or five of us and now I think there's at least uh, tw- uh, uh, maybe around about 15, 16 people in ESOL mm-hmm. yeah. and we do the core of the work remains assessments working alongside a lot of the main homelessness uh, services like No Second Night Out within St Mungo's and um, uh, we also do um, uh, training in uh, mental health 
in particular in the relationship between mental health and homelessness. And we offer reflective practice. And um, a little kind of niche in the, the work that we do, the niche that I have is in offering debriefs after serious untoward incidents, usually following uh, the deaths of people that have been using homelessness services. Yeah, wow. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. That's, that's amazing. Amazing what you do. Um, so in last week's episode, we spoke about what drives the feelings of being burnt out for individuals working in frontline homelessness services. So I think it's really important for people to have the skills to manage their own stress and their own well-being. And I know that a way of doing that is through mindfulness. So I think firstly, uh, Andy, if you're okay to tell us, what, what is mindfulness? What, what actually is it? It's a really good question, uh, Joe. Thanks for asking. Um, and it's probably best understood through practice rather than through, it's best understood experientially rather than through um, uh, speaking about it. So in a nutshell, it's uh, mindfulness is about paying attention to present moment experience in a particular way um, that includes qualities like patience and non-judging and a degree of friendliness towards our experience. Um, another way of thinking about it might well be it's a kind of it's an open-hearted awareness of what's going on in our inner and outer world, moment by moment. So it's like a clear, intentional, deliberate seeing and noticing um, that's infused with qualities like kindness as well. But it's probably much better understood through practice. And I wonder maybe if you'd like to do a little short practice. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. let's do that then. So. <laughs> You can make a just a deliberate shift in your posture. So you're sitting fairly upright or standing fairly upright and your feet are fairly firmly on the floor. You may want to close your eyes or you can just soften your gaze. You can just lower your gaze a bit. And um, perhaps noticing just, you know, as we're talking, there's probably a bit of a of a buzz going on in the head, if you like, you know, in our minds, in our brains, as we talk to each other. And then, and when you're ready, just beginning to move your attention from your head down through the, the trunk of your body and your pelvis and down the legs and right down into the soles of your feet. And not so much thinking about the soles of your feet as beginning to sense them. So maybe you might notice the contact with the ground underneath that shows up as points of pressure in the soles of the feet. And maybe you might also notice that there's contact with fabric, with socks, with shoes. And perhaps there's a temperature or temperatures that are showing up warm, chill. See what's true for you. And at some point, of course, you might notice that your mind is wandered. And when you notice, it's with a degree of patience and acceptance. Ah, this is what minds do. Gently escorting it back to sensing here in the soles of the feet. 
And then when you're ready, you know, having kind of shone a spotlight of attention, of this particular kind of <clears throat> attention on the soles of the feet, just moving the spotlight up through the upper feet, the lower legs, and into the backs of the upper legs and where the body meets the chair. And perhaps here you'll notice a much stronger sensations of squashiness and pressure and contact. Maybe noticing like it's the very first time you've ever noticed the contact with a chair underneath, with a beginner's mind, with curiosity. And perhaps here you might also notice the feel of fabric on skin and maybe temperature too. Gently letting be the trains of thought, anchoring in the contact between the body and the chair. And then when you're ready, maybe just moving fingers and toes a little bit and opening your eyes again. So curious to hear what your experience is of, of doing the practice. How was it, Joe? What did you notice? I feel, yeah, I mean, I feel slightly spaced out now, which is, is, is quite nice, though. And I don't think I've ever felt the soles of my feet before it's it's really powerful to like zone your attention into a particular part of your body that you probably don't think about that much and actually like the concentration of thinking about that and just really noticing any sensations really I mean I just felt like I was like I could have been anywhere like it was you know it was just me focusing on my sensations I could have been surrounded by noise but I think because of that fixation on that one thing it was a really powerful tool of allowing my brain to not kind of stress out about loads of stuff that might be external it was like right now you're going to focus on this and this is the way you're going to kind of relax and yeah it was I really enjoyed that thank you <laughs> yeah, thanks for sharing so when we pay attention, when we kind of focus our attention, sometimes our mind settles a little bit as we give it something to focus on and, and something to anchor on, maybe to ground yourself in the present moment. Uh, so there's opportunities then in paying attention in this particular way just to allow things maybe to, to um, steady a little bit, to anchor and ground sometimes the experience of it's relaxing sometimes it's not it might not always necessarily be relaxing something about just gathering your attention when it feels quite scattered and if you're working in homelessness of course and you have so many different responsibilities so and also that your experience of what's going on around about you can be changing minute by minute in response to um, questions that people ask you or events that are happening within the project that you're working in the phone call and email pings in dum 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 we feel really scattered and just this kind of simple grounding mindfulness can offer us an opportunity just to reconnect with the present moment reconnect with the body move out of thinking mode and into sensing mode yeah. move out of a kind of doing mode into just being in the present moment yeah and, and that's something that you know, people can just do at their desks if they're feeling in that state of being a bit overwhelmed. There's, like you said, lots of external stuff going on. 
And actually, you know, that exercise took, what, two minutes or something. And uh, I think it's really powerful. So it's a really amazing thing to be able to really ground yourself in that kind of time space. And it's very doable to do within the day. I think a lot of people see mindfulness as, you know, I don't have time for that. I don't have time to go and meditate. But actually, it's more than that. It's it's about, you know, it, it, is, it can just be two minutes in your day to, awesome. to focus your, your attention on, on the sensations and, uh, and that can really be, yeah, incredibly beneficial, I'm sure. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. <laughs> my pleasure, my pleasure, really just so lovely to hear just how it lands and how it's received, you know, and you're just, you're um, highlighting of just how it can be used at your desk. It just can be weaved into your day at times, mm. yeah. Yeah, so I think, it would be interesting to also talk about how how stress shows up for people. So what are the kind of common patterns of kind of stress appearing in someone so that people can kind of notice that happening? Yeah, thanks, Julia. From a mindfulness and a mindfulness-based cognitive therapy perspective in particular, and this is the sort of cognitive therapy aspect of the approach that was developed um particularly at Oxford Mindfulness Centre, um, <clears throat> excuse me, was the exploration of what's going on in our experience moment to moment. And one way of doing that, of mapping out our experience, of seeing it a bit more clearly, is to begin to notice our thoughts and our emotions and our body sensations and sometimes our impulses, our urges, our behaviours as well. And especially when we're stressed, it can feel that this kind of comes at us as a big sticky ball of experience. And we find, oh my goodness, I'm feeling just so stressed. I feel completely overwhelmed in the present moment. And we're not sure what to do or where to turn to in those moments at times. Feeling somewhat frantic, maybe. And of course, my experience sometimes working in homelessness and having so many demands at times and is that at times I do feel that overwhelm, I have felt that overwhelm. So the stress can kind of show up as, as, as it, it feels like that kind of like full-on big sticky ball of experience, but actually it's composed of um, these different uh, domains of experience maybe is a good way of describing it. So the thoughts that might show up are things like, um, I'll never get all this done. Mm -hmm. or I can't enjoy myself without thinking all that about all that needs to be done I mustn't waste a minute here or there must be something wrong with me if I feel like this or why can't I switch off and then the body sensations that will often be noticeable at times like that is tightness somewhere in the body tension in the neck for example in the shoulders and the upper legs we tend to sort of clench our upper legs at times our, our, our um, heartbeat becomes faster and maybe more noticeable in our chest as well. And there's, it's accompanied at times by sort of feelings of restlessness. I just have to get up and move. It's really, there's a lot of energy there in the body at those times. And then, of course, there's emotions and mood states that show up. Uh, feelings, you know, such as fear, anxiety, irritability at times as well, feeling irritable, maybe in particular with yourself at those times. And sometimes low mood, you know, kind of feeling a bit down or considerably down in response to uh, stress. 
And then there's a kind of fourth domain. So thoughts would be one domain, body sensations a second, emotions a third. And the fourth domain would be impulses or urges or behaviours. I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes I find myself standing with the, in front of the fridge door with the fridge door open <laughs> and wondering how I got here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so it might well be that um, we find there's an impulse just in those moments to go and and eat a bar of chocolate, you know, that kind of temporary hit, that sugary rush that we have in those moments that feels comforting. Or at the end of the day, you know, just to go and buy a bottle of wine and before we know it, we're home sort of collapsing on the sofa and we've had two or three glasses of it when we only intended to have one. Um, or it might well be that you get into arguments that you didn't want to have or you find yourself behaving in ways that you don't feel particularly good about yourself doing. And of course, this is what it is to be a human being though, isn't it? Yeah, of course. And it's, it's interesting to to talk about how stress comes out because some of the things you've said, people might experience that and not necessarily associate that with being stressed. So a low mood or that irritability, it could be, oh, I'm just I'm a bit irritated today, I'm a bit tired. And actually they maybe haven't acknowledged that they are quite stressed. Um, and I think it's really useful to discuss the ways that stress really shows up in people because I think it's sometimes, I think I've gone through it where I haven't realised I'm stressed. And then you take a step back and you think, I behaved quite irrationally today, I was very impulsive, I was very irritable, I was, you know, not talking nicely to someone and that's not me. And it's then that reflection mode when you think, oh, okay, that's, that's the stress coming out for me. Yeah, absolutely. Taking a step back is a really good way of describing another aspect of mindfulness in some ways. We would call it decentering from our experience. So the weather pattern of thoughts, emotions, body sensations and impulses, we have opportunities to, when practicing mindfulness, to sort of decenter a bit from it, to see it a bit more clearly. Um, there's a quote um, from a few... Actually, originally by Viktor Frankl, it's slightly misquoted in some ways, but Viktor Frankl was a Austrian a psychiatrist who um, survived the, the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. And um, he spent a lot of the rest of his life studying um, the qualities of people who went around giving other people their last crust of bread, you know, in the most horrendously adverse circumstances. But one of the quotes that sort of from or a slight misquote from Viktor Frankl, but which works really may work really well for the listeners, is between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space lies our freedom to choose, and in our choices may lie our growth and our happiness at times. Wow, what an amazing quote. Yeah, so between stimulus and response. So we notice all these stimuluses. If we tune in more often, we can notice them more often. One way we do that in a mindfulness course and in learning mindfulness more generally is to take what we call a breathing space. Um, we could do that now if it would be useful as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so just again, the pre-step in some ways is just taking that deliberate shift in posture. You might want to close your eyes or just kind of lower your gaze again and and just beginning to check in and what's the present moment weather pattern of experience? What? What's showing up here in the body? What body sensations are here in the present moment? Maybe there's a bit of tightness somewhere or contraction. 
Maybe there's an obvious tension in the shoulders, the legs, the neck. Maybe there's warmth and a sense of ease, perhaps. Notice and also if there's any emotions or moods, feelings here in the present moment. Irritability, annoyance, happiness, feeling a bit down, stressed more generally, there's a general sense of feeling stressed. And any thoughts that are passing through the mind, what we've got to do or what we've forgotten to do. Maybe also you might notice if there's any impulses or urges to want to do something in the present moment. So this is step one of the breathing space, seeing more clearly. Naming to yourself what you're experiencing. Ah, stress is here, or ah, there's tightness in my shoulders. And then in step two, beginning to gather your attention around an anchor in the body. So maybe it's that anchor of the feet meeting the floor again, showing up as points of contact. Maybe it's the contact with the seat, the stronger squashiness, pressure temperature, the solidity of the chair underneath. Maybe it's the weight of the hands and the temperatures in the fingers and maybe any sensations of contact and touch in the finger, the fingertips themselves. The present moment shape of the fingers and thumbs, are they bent or straight? Or maybe it's the breath down in the abdomen. Noticing the breath and noticing how the abdomen, the abdominal wall expands and stretches as you breathe in. And drops away as you breathe out. Finding an anchor that works best for you, feet, seat, hands or breath. And just resting your attention here for a few moments. Patiently letting be any trains of thought. You could even pause the podcast here for a few moments if you want to extend this step of paying attention to an anchor. And then in step three, expanding your attention to kind of encompass or hold the whole body in your awareness, sense of the whole body sitting here, standing here. And then there's an optional fourth step, perhaps asking yourself if you're feeling stressed and or irritated or a little bit overwhelmed in the present moment. What do I need right now? How can I best take care of myself right now? 
Maybe it's going for a short walk, making a cup of tea, returning to where you were. Maybe it's checking in with a colleague for a few minutes. Maybe it's following up on that email that you've been finding difficult with a kind of sort of sense of feeling more anchored, more grounded. And then when you're ready, just moving fingers and toes again and opening your eyes. I think that was, I really enjoyed that one because it was, I think, especially for people working in frontline services, it's go, go, go. And you actually never just stop and consider um, how you're feeling and doing that kind of check-in. Um, and actually then also thinking, what can I do to make myself feel better in this moment as well? Um, and I think that's a really important thing. And I'd love to kind of discuss that in terms of, you know, what we can, what can we do to nourish ourselves to help relieve stress? So I think some people don't know what actually nourishes them and therefore it can be quite difficult for them to know what to do in that moment. Like, how do I make myself feel better? Um, so yeah, it'd be really interesting to kind of get your perspective on, on that and kind of thinking about nourishment of our, of ourself. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. I think there's, there's it's a really good question, a really good point to bring up. How is it that we can best take care of ourselves as well? If there's a kind of trajectory or pathway through mindfulness practice, it's probably the things that we've already been doing. Like the first thing is the is cultivating, developing our attention. Cultivating is a funny word that's kind of mostly more used more maybe in like things like farming. Mm -hmm. So the sense of cultivating is just a bit like gathering, gathering our attention around, you know, like we did earlier, around the soles of the feet or the seat or the breath. And then we're kind of discovering that there's these two ways of knowing and being. There's thinking mode, which serves us very, very well often, but can sometimes go into overdrive as well. And there's also sensing mode, you know, sensing um, the body. And where else can the body be but in the present moment when the mind is pinging around between the past and the future? So there's cultivating, developing attention two ways of knowing and being and the capacity to be able to observe your own experience like we did you know by noticing our thoughts our body sensations our emotions sort of taking a sort of step back from them if you like decentering and then there's the um opportunity to respond skillfully how can i best take care of myself how can i nourish myself so so one way maybe of doing that would be just to at some point um, write down, take a few minutes just to write down actually first of all before writing down just to close your eyes and move through a typical day so from when you wake up in the morning what's the first two or three things that you do getting out of bed um, what do you do in preparation for either a day working at home or indeed going out to work and then the journey, if you're going 
um, the morning meetings or appointments or uh, time spent maybe at the PC working on the to-do list and lunchtime as you move through lunchtime what's the kinds of things that you do over lunch and again in the afternoon moving through that sort of process and into the early evening so really just allowing the day of a typical day of your life to sort of unfold and um what's the kinds of things that you might do on the way home from work or indeed after you've finished if you're at home and in the evening right up maybe until just as you go to bed um, and then just to write down about 12 or 15 of those activities, write them down. So from things like maybe uh, what's the first thing you do in, your, in the morning? Is it reach for your phone or is it um, and check if, what emails and other social media? Um, also, how does that make you feel you know, when you do that? Or is it maybe just spending a few moments um, uh, opening your eyes, having a little bit of a stretch or... Uh, reading something that you find quite uh, motivating and then as you move through your day you might want to put even an end next to the things that you find nourishing the things that uplift you the things that um, enables you to feel more gathered and less scattered the things that you enjoy and also maybe to put an, a d next to the activities that you do that are depleting whether it's sometimes certainly for me so occasionally emails can be nourishing, but if I've got a lot of emails and I'm switching my attention a lot, it can really quite deplete me. It can sap my energy. I can feel more tired having to deal with them. And of course, I can't avoid emails um, as such. So sometimes it's about uh, breaking up the emails with other tasks or things that are enjoyable, actually, rather than tasks, small things that are nourishing and that might be, for example, paying attention to the first few sips of a cup of tea or coffee. I taught uh, mindfulness in prison to men in prison, and we asked uh, the men, and in week one, we all ate chocolate mindfully, and the men were saying, wow, this is amazing. I never knew the smells of chocolate, the taste of it. Uh, I never even realized I liked dark chocolate. Some of them were eating dark, some milk. It was really, really super tasty. It was like really slowing things down and really appreciating them. And we asked the men if they would um, eat one meal over the next week mindfully. And, and in a chorus, more or less, they all said, ah, no way, absolutely no way. Prison food is awful and you're asking us to pay more attention to it. So... We said, well, just, you know, see how it goes. Come back and tell us next week. So we all met again next week for the group. And um, and one man said, when it came to exploring mindful eating, one man said, well, prison food is still pretty awful, even when you try to eat it mindfully. And everyone nodded and chipped in there. He said, but those few first few sips of a cup of coffee in the morning, the smell, the feel of the warm mug in my hands, and the taste, they're, they're really special now, really special. So, yeah, what might it be just to turn our attention to what's even simple things that can be nourishing? It's not going to get rid of stress as such, but it points our mind towards um, also what's pleasurable, what's enjoyable and what's nourishing. And we know that there's some really good evidence now for activating what's called the positive valence system. 
and paying attention to what nourishes us can activate the more positive emotions at times so going through that list of activities that are nourishing those that are depleting of the nourishing is there ones that you can do a little bit more often or that you can pay attention a bit more to when you're doing them um, and of those that are depleting is there one or two that you can let go of or do less often or do in a different way perhaps that feels less depleting by breaking them up or by um, uh, bringing a kind of patient attention to them and in order to do that I think it's probably useful that sort of patient um, attention probably needs um, some ongoing mindfulness practice before kind of coming back to doing it in those ways times as well so it might, I don't know if it's a good time maybe to mention some signposting yeah absolutely yeah please do yeah so one one, one really useful resource can be there's a book called Mindfulness, a Practical Guide uh, to Find Peace in a Frantic World. Mm. It's written by Mark Williams, a, a professor of psychology who's now retired um, and uh, founded Oxford Mindfulness Centre. It's written by Mark and uh, by a chap called Danny Penman and it's a really accessible book um, that you can use. It's written in order to be able to implement in your daily life without going on a mindfulness course and it has a set of recordings that accompany it. You can d dive in much deeper into mindfulness practice through sort of following the chapters in the book. Um, as a lot of people probably know there's some apps like um, uh, Headspace mm -hmm. that can be useful and I know occasionally there's deals on headspace or organizations headspace offers uh organizations free access for a year they are short accessible 10 minute um, practices that can be weaved into the day or done at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day if you're looking for a more in-depth mindfulness course there's a website uh, where the british association of mindfulness-based approaches list all the teachers that are registered with them you can search by postcode for mindfulness groups in your local area usually they're there it's taught as an eight-week course and also more recently oxford mindfulness foundation do at times have varsity places on their eight-week courses with the intention of um, uh, reaching out to people working in fields like homelessness mm -hmm. who'd like to uh, do an eight-week uh, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy therapy for life course which both has an has some uh, emphasis on managing stress and difficulty in life and some emphasis on um, activating the uh, positive valence system so nourish what's nourishing what's pleasurable what's enjoyable um, it covers both of those, hence the MBCT, Mindfulness-Based Cognitive Therapy for Life. And if people are particularly interested in them, they could always drop me an email. So it would be andy.fee, so that's spelled P-H-E-E, at oxfordmindfulness.org. And um, you can also check out the Oxford Mindfulness website for more information. Also, uh, Oxford Mindfulness Foundation offer a free drop-in uh, guided by mindfulness uh, teachers, experienced mindfulness teachers, each day Monday to Friday at 1pm to 1.30pm and at 7pm to 7.30pm. Brilliant. Well, thank you for sharing all that. I think it's a super useful resources as well. Um, I think that's all we have time for unfortunately Andy um, that was 
that was so lovely. Thank you so much for chatting with me. I really, really enjoyed kind of doing the mindfulness practices with you. And I hope that kind of the people that listened to this podcast are able to either do it along with us or do it in their own time and that it really benefits them. I'm I'm definitely going to be trying this sort of in my day-to-day life. And I love the idea of the listing the, um, the things that you do in your day um, and then looking at what nourishes and what depletes you. I think that's, I, I, again, I want to try that as well. So yes, thank you so much. Um, it's been brilliant to have you here. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share before we end? No, no, I don't think so, Joe. My pleasure to, to have shared as well. And um, um, I've found it an enormous uh, help in my life at times, you know, having the mindfulness practice. It's not for everyone. It's not for everyone or is not for you at particular times in your life. I think we went through a period where it was offered almost as a panacea for everything. There was a real hype about mindfulness practice and indeed you know when you try and practice it there's a kind of sense of oh I'm failing at this because my mind wonders but remembering that your mind will wonder that that's a part of the practice a bit like going to the gym if there was no equipment to work with we would be feeling pretty kind of deflated and ripped Mm -hmm. off so if our mind doesn't want to wonder we don't have that much to work with in our practice so it gives us a real opportunity and um we could just finish with it. sometimes what we call an, an emergency practice, which is just, if it feels right, just taking a deeper breath in, really quite a deep inhalation, and then on the out breath, dropping your attention right down through the body and into the soles of the feet. I could maybe do that once more, just deeper breath in and then in the out breath, just dropping attention right down through the body, moving attention down and into the soles of the feet in the present moment. So just an extra easy way to move from thinking mode to sensing mode. Amazing. Thank you so much, Andy. Thanks for listening. To keep up to date with the latest goings on at Homeless Link, please follow us on Twitter at Homeless Link. If you're interested in training and development opportunities for yourself, your team or your organisation, get in touch by emailing training at homelesslink.org.uk. We have a range of courses that help staff and organisations develop the skills needed to tackle current issues and improve services.